Ortiz in the deep right field. Back is Sheffield. We'll see you later tonight. Welcome to the Exit Velocity Baseball Podcast. My name is Brent. This evening, I'm here with Jordan. How are we doing? All things are good on my end. How are things with you? Good. It's starting to warm up up for the summer, and it's starting to look good. And we also have Jeff Levering, radio play-by-play with the Milwaukee Brewers with us this evening. How are we doing, Jeff? Doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, we appreciate you joining us, especially with all the crazy baseball news going on this week. I'm sure you know more than we know. It'll be interesting to see what happens over the coming weeks and if the players and owners can figure something out. Yeah, I wish I knew uh, more than, than everybody else knows, but I don't. We're all in the same boat. We're, we're getting our information just as, as everybody else's. It's kind of crazy that, that this whole thing is being, it's being played out over the media as much as it yeah. is. Um, it's almost unfortunate that it is, um, but at the same time, I think we, we, we can't press that, that whatever stage one is right now or stage two that that we just, hey, listen, this is going to be a long discussion. This, this, these negotiations are going to last a long time, and we can't get bogged down with what's going on right now. Yeah, we really can't. I know some players, too, on social media, they let it known that they're frustrated that they're finding this out through, like, Twitter and stuff instead of getting it probably through the Players Association or wherever they may get it. Yeah, I agree with that. It, it shouldn't be played out the way that it's being played out right now. Um, but unfortunately, that's that's the hand that we're dealt, and and the owners and the players are are as, as exposed as everybody. Um, yeah. So you could take it as a positive, you could take it as a negative, and hopefully, at the end of the day, everybody figures their stuff out, and we're playing baseball here in the near future. Yes, let's hope for the best. So I was going to ask. First thing, we've had a lot of guys on to talk about their teams, and it's so interesting to hear their stories. Of how did you get started in the business and in radio? Uh, well, I, I majored in broadcast journalism um, at Chapman University, small Division three school down in the West Coast in Orange County. Uh, born and raised in California, I played baseball all the way through college, won a College World Series, uh, but I never called baseball games until after I graduated. So um, I got my degree. I worked at Fox Sports in Los Angeles for a couple of years um, on the local Fox side with the Lakers and Clippers and Angels, and Dodgers, UCLA and USC. So I did that for about a year and a half. And then uh, lo and behold, a, an opportunity to do some baseball materialized in the minor leagues in Rancho Cucamonga and A-ball. And uh, I had filled in a little bit for them the year prior, uh, a couple of Saturday games doing radio, never done radio before, as mentioned. Uh, all of my background was on the television side, but the assistant general manager that was doing the hiring played for the same guy in college that recruited me to go to Chapman. So all he did was call my former coach and his former coach and say, is this guy okay? Or is he a, a jerk? And he said, no, man, he's great. Hire him. So that's how I got hired, which is, it's bonkers. You know, mm-hmm. you hear the story about everybody's story is different. I, I don't know if there's any story like that. Um, but that's how I got my start in, in the minor leagues and in radio. And, um, my first day on the job, they said, we don't have a radio station. Go find one. Here's your budget. So you learn and fly by the seat of your pants and you get after it. And I had eight great years in the minor leagues and hopefully you're number six in the big leagues here pretty soon. Very nice. Yeah, that's cool. I know you, you also call some college football games and college basketball games for Fox and Mm -hmm. big 10 network, which that's, that's where I've seen you was on the Big Ten. Uh, how do you enjoy doing that as well in the off season? 
I love it. I, I love doing the college basketball stuff and, and a handful of college football games, uh, Big 12 conference uh, action over the last couple of years. But um, but being in, a, in the premier conferences that I'm in, the Big Ten and the Big East Conference on FS1 and Big Ten Network um, has been great. Uh, and the the electricity that are in the buildings and some of the great programs that I'm a part of that, that I'm able to call and some some really memorable games, buzzer beaters, high intensity games. Um, I, I love calling college basketball. There, there's nothing better than than a Saturday afternoon game and, you know, Ann Arbor or Champaign when both teams are playing really well or Madison and, and things are going really well and, and having that atmosphere and being a part of that and sitting courtside and feeling the sweat and the intensity. It's mm-hmm. it's it really is a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm from Minnesota. Have you called a game in the barn yet? I love the barn. It, it is a it's an atmosphere that can't really be duplicated because you're looking up at everything. Mm-hmm. So people look so much bigger than 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 real life. It, it really is fun. And I love the fact that they've got all the costumes and the student section. And it's it's one of my my more favorite places to call a game. Good stuff. So moving on to the Milwaukee Brewers, a team that you see on a full season, 162 games. Do you think they can make the playoffs in this tough NL Central, or do they need a couple pieces yet? Well, it's to be determined on what kind of season we're going to have. Um, I, I think that they're set up. If, if everything goes the way that things are talking like and, and sounding like, and it's a shorter season, I think the Brewers are in better shape uh, because they don't have to have the depth starting pitching-wise. But I don't think people give their starting pitching depth enough credit this, the, before spring training ended in the middle of March with all this that was happening. They were in really good position. Brandon Woodruff was dealing. Corbin Burns was dealing. Freddie Peralta was shoving. Josh Lindblom looked good. Brian Anderson had stayed healthy. Eric Lauer had a setback, but he was going to be a, a rotation piece. So, I mean, they, they had plenty of options and I'm sure I'm missing a couple people too, but it, it, it seemed like, the Brewers had had more depth at the starting rotation, and even if some of those guys didn't make the rotation, they were going to have more firepower in the back end of the bullpen. And uh, and it, it had the makings of something really special with, with Christian Yelich and, and some of the healthy guys coming back, and Abisail Garcia and Brock Holt and another year of Ryan Braun. It, it felt like the Brewers were in pretty good shape going into 2020. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, Jordan, what do you think this Brewers team could do? Honestly, it just depends upon uh, who rises to the occasion because guys like Lorenzo Cain, um, being the year that he had last year, kind of a slump, obviously. But if he can go back to the form that he had in his in his years with the Royals, uh, Justin Smoke obviously struggled last year with the 208 batting average. Uh, but those guys they end up clicking and figure th- figuring things out. Biggest bright spot I would say in that lineup that wasn't there last year is obviously obviously El Garcia. Um, I think that with him being healthy, I know he just had 489 at-bats last year, but if he gets full slate, um, I feel like with his speed potential too, he had 10 steals last year, I think he is the bright shining spot in that lineup. Omar Navarez obviously is not going to replace Grandal, but um, he's still a good asset there at the catcher position. And whatever he did last year in, with the, in the Mariners uniform, I feel like um, he is a... Decent addition with with the departure of Grandal. So overall, I think guys like Urias, I don't really know. I mean, he was a highly coveted prospect in the San Diego Padres system. It'd be interesting to see what he can bring to 
the Brewers and if he does get everyday playing time. So I feel like there's a lot of excitement with him being just 23 years old. And he was, again, like a highly coveted prospect. But uh, I guess we'll have to see uh, when things play out and if they do play out. So I don't know. I think with overall, this team has a lot of question marks. Like you mentioned earlier with the rotation depth, uh, there's a lot of guys like even Freddie Peralta is not even slated to be in that rotation right now. I do think they have, I'd feel like that's the strong suit is that rotation. It's crazy to think about that, right? Because it's a, an organization that you don't think starting pitching, you think offense and home runs and all that stuff, but re- really their pitching over the last couple of years has, has really carried him. And of course, mm-hmm. Christian Yelich are doing what he's done, potentially a back-to-back MVP guy until he got hurt late in the season. It's a it's a special group. It's a really special group. And for Craig Council gets the best out of his players year in and year out. And you also got a guy like Corbin Burns. Do you think he's going to end up being more of a bullpen arm or he's going to be like a starting ace-type pitcher in the rotation? If he throws consistently the way that he did in spring training, he's going to be a top-of-the-rotation kind of guy. I mean, he had command of everything. I, I don't know what happened with him in 2019 after what he was able to do in 2018 in his rookie year and step in and become a, a setup guy basically the brewers had four closer slash setup guys in that bullpen in 2018 and he was one of them and then they put him in the rotation and something happened with him mentally and he just needed to clear the mechanism so i i think if corbin burns comes back and if he throws the way that he did in spring training, the, the Brewers have a budding ace. I mean, and you're mm-hmm. looking at what Brandon Woodruff is, and he's throwing 97, 99 miles an hour and, and cheese and two seamers and change-ups and sliders and curveballs to go with that fastball. And Corbin Burns has the same artillery, if not a little bit better slider. Um, it's almost an embarrassment of riches, if you if you ask me. And, um, and that's a good problem to have. And, and if he... And again, if he doesn't end up in the rotation, which I think he does in the long term, he's still relatively young, then maybe he ends up being a closer. Maybe he ends up being a setup man. Who knows what's going to happen with Josh Hader and Corey Knebel. And it's better to have the numbers at the back end of the bullpen and and capable arms than it is to, to have a lack of it. Yeah, even like a guy like Freddie Peralta, he's still only 24 years old, and he was he has that 97-plus mile-an-hour fastball. And what, two years ago, they thought he was going to be the future of that rotation. Do you think he can, I don't know, with talking with front office or anything, do you think he can figure it out and become what he was supposed to be? Yeah, I think so. I really do, because he has the fastball command. That's the biggest thing for him. Um, his curveball is a, is a pretty good pitch. It's a good out pitch. But he developed. He went back to throwing his slider again. That was his pitch going into the 2017 season, and he basically scrapped it and learned the over-the-top curveball going into 2018. And then got to the big leagues and punched out 13 in his major league debut, which is unbelievable in Colorado. So I, I think with the, the added pitch of the slider can really help Freddie Peralta and, and take his game to the next level. The Brewers obviously think that that he's going to be something special. Otherwise, they wouldn't have signed him such a long extension um, during spring training. So I think that he's he's got the tools. Of course, you've got the, a couple of guys that are on on shorter contracts at Brett Anderson to try and fill some some spots and, and through 2020. But the, the young core of pitching is very explosive, um, and, and the Brewers are very excited about it. Do you think at the back end of that bullpen, do you think Hader keeps that closing job, or do you think Kniebel coming back could end up taking that and Hader's more of a high-leverage kind of guy? 
I, I think the Brewers are going to do just what they did in 2018, and, and they're going to ride the hot hand. They're not going to be able to throw Hader in every safe situation. They're still going to try and use him in the most important places, uh, whether that's in the eighth and ninth innings or if you've got the three, four, five guys coming up in the seventh, maybe he's used there. But th- what one thing that has been a bonus about this coronavirus situation is that Knable has had an opportunity to get healthy. He's coming mm-hmm. off the Tommy John surgery. He was slated to come back in the mid to latter part of May. Now he's able to come back at full strength if and when the, the Brewers or Major League Baseball comes back and and he can be eased into it. So maybe you have the the hater situation at the back end of the bullpen. You know, David Phelps, who's back there that has saved games before. Ray Black is a, a high leverage guy. Um, and then you throw Corey Knable in there too. I mean, it's a it's a it's a very special group and you feel very confident with any of those guys at the back end of the pen. Jordan, do you think that they're going to do what they did in 2018, like Jeff said, or it's going to be Hader at the back there and Knable kind of tries to find his way back to his closing job? I think it all comes down to the – it's like going to be very situational, as mentioned. I just think that it's either going to be Hader or Knable, but I know Hader just absolutely dominated last year. Yes, there was that time – what was it, like in August? I feel like he had some struggles, mm-hmm. and then uh, kind of people were getting concerned, but uh, those those worries were soon eliminated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got a little susceptible to the home run ball there a bit, but I mean that's 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 today's game. You can blame some of that on the juice baseballs if you want to. I mean there there's a lot of different factors. You can't throw the ball down the middle. I don't care who you are and, and expect yeah. to get people out. He did in 2018, and then in 2019 he didn't. So that that stuff happens, and that's okay. Yeah, especially the way he throws, too, the gas that he can throw, getting that velocity up there. All you have to do is put that ball, good contact on the bat, and that's. In the juice ball era, that was a home run. <laughs> mm-hmm. So going on to the lineup, which I think is loaded with a bunch of super util guys. You got like Brock Holt, Jed Jericho that can play multiple positions. Ben Gamble even on the bench can play all three outfield spots. And a guy, too, that Jordan mentioned earlier, Avi Garcia. I know when he started in Detroit, they compared him to a baby Miguel Cabrera. Mm-hmm. Have you come in contact or talked to Avisail Garcia or saw the potential? Yeah, for sure. So I saw him coming through the minor leagues when he was with Detroit. I saw him in AAA Toledo and, and the mannerisms, the body style. And when he came to the plate, I thought it was Miguel Cabrera. I mean, it was incredible mm-hmm. how uncanny the, the resemblance was. But, but you're right. The, what the Brewers have done under David Stearns at Craig Council, they have guys that are going to be in their specific positions for the most part. Orlando Arce is going to play shortstop. When you had Grandal, he was going to play. He was going to be behind the plate, but he played some first base too. But but they really thrive on having versatile players, guys that have positional depth and a way to manage your roster day in and day out. Keston here is always going to be a second baseman. Maybe there there's a chance he moves to first, but he's really undersized for that position. But you bring in a guy like like Brock Holt or Jed Jerko who can play multiple positions. Christian Yelich can play all three outfield positions if you want him to. Ryan Braun can play any of the corners. Garcia can play any position in the outfield. Everybody can play a different position. And it just gives you so much more depth to to work with your roster and give guys a day off if you need to. I thought Brock Holt was a perfect signing for the Brewers this offseason. Mm-hmm. If something happens with 
with Orlando Arce or if Luis Arias is just not playing to his potential, you can plug in Brock Holditz short. You can plug him in at second late in the game. He can start at third. Eric Sogard is that type of player, too. He can even play left field. Brock Holtz played every position except for catcher and pitcher, and I can guarantee you that he might pitch at some point now that he's in the National League. So it, it's just it, they're perfect Craig Council guys. They're perfect David Stearns people. And and they they really do whenever whatever it is that it's in that Brewers clubhouse, the magic potion with Craig Council, that he gets the best out of every single player and they just throw their egos to the side and they go, let's go win. And and it's really refreshing to see. Yeah, you could tell by watching the Brewers last year or even the year before that, they all just come together as a group. But one guy being from Minnesota. We have there's a lot of Brewers fans mixed in with Twins fans, and one guy everybody is excited about is Keston Hira. Do you think he could establish himself as one of the best second basemen in baseball? And if he can get to that level, what do you think he needs to do to get to become like an MVP type player? I think he is a a very interesting prospect because of his offensive tool. He is a a gifted hitter, uh, and there's no other way to say it. He is a very gifted hitter. Yes, he strikes out a lot, but, man, he's just a machine at the plate. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and listen, he's not going to win a gold glove at second base. There, there, it's just not going to happen. He, he can be a very serviceable second baseman. Um, he makes the plays he needs to play. He, he, he commits some errors. He, his throwing arm, again, he didn't, he didn't essentially play defense for two consecutive years because he had elbow problems. So he's still learning the position and he's learning on the fly. And I I think that if his defense, his defense will never come close to what his offense is, but he's, he's a perennial number three hitter in your lineup for many, many, many years to come. And and when he was mentioned in trade conversations in his, his first and second year of being a pro, and you can understand why the brewers always shied away from adding him in any potential trade. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he is so special offensively. I, I think the Brewers are really lucky to have him and to, to pair him with Yelich for a long, long time. Is Man, folks in Milwaukee are going to love that. Oh, yeah. Jordan, what do you think? Do you think Keston could take that next step and be a good second baseman in a sa- shallow position in baseball? Honestly, I think it wouldn't be all that difficult based on his hit tool that he possesses, obviously, as mentioned. Um, offensively, he's rock solid. And I feel like the hype is real. So I think with second base being a real scarcity all throughout baseball, essentially, I think that if he does, I think he will uh, perform well in a full slated season. And I feel like he could be a top five guy for sure. I think uh, based on where he's at too, I think Brew Crew Nation will really own hone in and just love him. I feel like he's got a good spot there to really rise to the occasion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't fight that. So one guy in the lineup, potentially probably the best player in baseball. And I can't believe what he's become watching him in Miami with Stanton and JT Real Muto. You never saw this power, even though Miami is a very difficult ballpark to hit in. And he does love Miller Park. But Kristen Yelich, what he did last season, and plus missing almost a month and a half, two months, what he did in 130 games has to be one of the more impressive things that I've seen in baseball in a long time. It, it really was, especially after he won the MVP the year before, and everyone talked, well, he's going to regression this, regression that, and launch angle this. And I mean, he, he is just an exceptional hitter. He does things offensively that you just sit back and you go, holy crap, I can't believe he just did that. He's fun to watch. You never know what he's going to do. 
And, you know, I, I want to go back just for a second. The, the guys that you mentioned with him in Miami, it's unbelievable how they didn't win, right? Isn't that scary? <laughs> yeah, yeah. With my, really when, they, when they had the outfield of Ozuna and Stanton and Yelich and, and D. Gordon and Real Muto and Justin Bohr, like that is a terrifying offense to try and get mm-hmm. around. Starling Castro was there for a year. Like there were no holes in that offense, but they and just had Jose so, Fernandez, right? Jose Fernandez. That was the only guy that, that they had to pitch uh, Henderson Alvarez too. But I mean, they, gosh, how did that team not win? No, anyway, no. that was besides the point. The fact that the Brewers were able to get what they, what they got with Christian Yelich and giving what they got, it looks like the, the biggest trade steal in the history of trade steals, mm. but man, the, the Brewers locking him in for, for nine more years He's going to retire a brewer. Uh, he's just a special guy. They brought in his former hitting coach and Andy Haynes in the minor leagues. Those do have a great relationship, but I mean, all you have to do as a hitting coach with Christian is put the ball on the tee. That's all you have to do <laughs> and just let him go. Yep. Um, and, and basically if he feels like he's not hitting well, I, I remember doing a national game last year on television and we mic'd up Christian yells for the game and he's and he is on the railing talking with Andy Haynes and he goes, man, I feel like, I feel like crap today. I, I, I'm not seeing the ball well. I can't believe this stuff. And then he hits two home runs in the game. Like that was in the first <laughs> inning. He goes and hits two homers. He goes, man, I didn't feel good, but this, that's <laughs> wow. baseball. That, that's how great he is and, and how, how well he knows his body and how well he knows his techniques. Yeah, I know he's given a lot of credit to his hitting coach, actually. I think he recently did that but less than a month ago on Twitter. Something gave a lot of good things about his hitting coach. So that's great to hear. Another guy in that lineup that was part of that big trade to San Diego, which I was super surprised San Diego doing that. Zach Davies and Trent Grisham pretty much for Eric Lauer and Luisa Rise. A lot of people are saying Luisa Rise was one of the best player prospects in baseball. And right now you guys got him slotted in as your starting shortstop on roster resource. Do you think in a 162-game season he could get 500 plate appearances? I think he could. I, I still believe that the Brewers think that Orlando Arcia has some 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 game left in there. He's so good defensively, and if he could, he was starting to hit the ball really well in spring training. Yes, it's spring training. You take those results with a grain of salt, but at the same time, his approach looked better. He looked more comfortable at the plate. He's still a young kid. He's 24 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if you have both of those guys, and and maybe. Rios is a second baseman, and maybe the DH comes into the National League, and you could put Keston here as your DH. Then you have two gold glove caliber second baseman and shortstop. Rios is still not hit at the big league level, and it's it's concerning a little bit, and I think that's why the Padres were able to give up what they gave up to get Zach Davis and Trent Grisham because he just hadn't proved that he could hit big league pitching to that point. He's killed AAA, but... Mm-hmm offensively in the big leagues, he still had a, li- a lot to prove. He broke his handmate bone this year, so nobody saw him. He was about ready to, to make a, his first spring training appearance when everything got shut down. So, again, like we talked about with Corey Knable, this is a, it's a situation with Urias that, that because of the time off, he's had a chance to heal and get himself back. But he, he's a special player, and I know the Brewers think very highly of him, and I think he could have a really nice career. Yeah, and I think what 
probably helped the Padres get rid of him a little bit easier too, is having Fernando Tatis oh. at shortstop. And I don't know if Arise can play second base or third base as well mm-hmm. as he could shortstop, but I feel like that was probably made it a little bit easier. It's like, ah, oh, we got probably one of the best shortstop in baseball. We can ship this guy off and get a decent outfielder in Zach Davies. <laughs> yeah, Tatis is okay. I think he's going to be fine in San Diego. That guy, <laughs> I mean, watching him play, he is super exciting. Super exciting. Way yeah. better than his dad ever was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, going more on to the farm system now, which Mike Fearn we had on a couple episodes ago, and he's with the Diamondbacks. He had this podcast a while back called The Fringe Average, and that was in 2014, and they were talking about the Brewers farm system, how how bad it was. Now looking at it today, I've looked at it, and I know there's a lot of guys like Eric Cross that'll write about prospects and whatnot. Is the farm system still struggling or is there guys that we're just missing that could potentially have big league impact? So at this moment, it looks like the system is thin. I think that they have some guys at the lower levels. Ethan Small, who was the first-round pick last year out of Mississippi State, was doing some good things. They have some guys in that top 30 that are that will make the big leagues and will make impacts, especially pitchers. They don't have a ton of position players within, within their stable. A couple of catchers, Bryce Terang, I think they like, but he's still young. He's 19, 20 years old and, and probably going to double-A this year. You, you have to remember that in 2014, going into 15, that's when the Brewers tore everything down and reloaded. And they built up their farm system to where it was one of the top five in baseball. Mm-hmm. And then they used all those guys in the farm system and all those top prospects to go get a guy like Christian Yelich or to, to trade for Joaquin Soria or trade for Mike Moustakis and, and build up the big league team. So while they were building all these prospects up, they gave away a lot of prospects to get these big leaguers. And it's, and it's helped out. It's two straight postseason appearances. So the, the cupboard might be a little bit bare, but you know, the, the Brewers have been really successful over the last 12 years in, in the major leagues. I mean, the postseason in 2008, 2011, and then again in 18 and 19, and you're a game away from going to the World Series in 2018. Mm-hmm. So, and that's not by accident. There was a great article written in The Athletic earlier this, this week by Will Salmon talking about the drafts from 2000 until 2008 for the Brewers and how they they shaped the organization to what they are now and how many first-round picks that they hit on with Braun and Ricky Weeks and Corey Hart and J.J. Hardy and, and Prince Fielder and all these guys that mm-hmm. they ended up getting, Giovanni Gallardo, just to name a couple, um, Jonathan Lucroy, that, that they really hit on to develop all this, this great equity within the organization. They hit on every draft pick basically in, in 2000 to 2008, with the exception of Mark Rogers. So you go back and you look, that was a lot of success. You had a couple of down years and you come back and you compete and you put a lot of eggs into the big league basket and you're, you're not developing as many guys, but you're trading some guys to get some big leaguers. So again, it's like this with every farm system, but it, that's what it's there for. It's there to help the big league team. And if you can trade some of those blue chip guys who haven't proven anything at the big league level yet, and you can get a proven big league guy, then then you go do it. I think the Brewers have done it as well as anybody over the last few years. But I do think that they have a few guys that are in that stable that will that will make an impact. And whether it's in Milwaukee or with somebody else, they'll make an impact. Yeah, and I know with like the Brewers too, when I think of their team, the first guy that pops up in my head is Prince Fielder. 
Prince mm-hmm. Fielder, Ryan Braun, Lorenzo Kane, and Mike Moustakis. <laughs> the big yeah. four pop up in my head. That's who everyone remembers. And you're right. You hit on all those picks. It's it's insane. And even Lorenzo Kane was a risk. He didn't start playing baseball until his junior year of high school, right? Even Jeremy Jeffress was a first-round pick. And yeah. then he doesn't do anything, basically, the big leagues. He gets traded for Zach Grinke and then comes back five, six years later, and then he becomes a lights-out closer setup man for a couple of years. So it's just it's it's insane and, and really crazy how how the, the Brewers farm system and the people that are in charge of their draft have, have really nailed it over the last few years. So looking deeper into that farm system, not your top two prospect like Ethan Small, but one guy that I see that he is so interesting, Luis Medina. He's a he was you signed him as a 16 year old kid, and I remember when I was 16, I was playing baseball outside, riding my bike around the neighborhood, not getting signed for 1.3 million dollars. <laughs> yeah, and, I mean he's six two. He's got that lean frame, and I know people love him. Yeah, they really do. They're really high on him, and they think that that he's going to be a budding star. They signed a couple of other kids that were uh, 16 years old out of the Dominican that that just blew their socks off when they came and take batting practice at, at Miller Park and they were hitting balls into the second deck. But a guy that they took in the draft that that I really like and, and I feel like he has a real good chance to to be somebody is Aaron Ashby. I mean, nobody really talks about Aaron Ashby. He's a big, tall left-hander. He's got good bloodlines. But he, I, I feel like he's going to be a really quick riser in the system, especially because he's left-handed. Really, really special talent. And, and he could be up at the big leagues pretty soon. And Drew Rasmussen, too, is throwing 100 miles an hour that people forget about. It was a first-round pick out of Oregon State. So many injury problems, but now he's healthy, and he could be a closer in, in Milwaukee at some point. Yeah, one guy, too, that you have that I feel like he's been your system a while, and I know Jordan mentioned him as well, Corey Ray. Do you mm-hmm. think he's ever going to get a shot in the bigs, or he's just kind of going to be one of those minor league lifers? Well, he's he's on the 40-man roster and, and a former first-round pick a couple of years ago out of college, and, and his big his big asset was his hit tool. But last year, he had so many injuries. He got to AAA and really struggled after being the, the, the player of the year in the Brewers system the year prior, 2018. It looked like he was starting to turn the corner. And then last year, he just wasn't healthy. And it was just a lost year for him. And now you've got the Brewers in that loaded outfield group with, with Kane with a couple of more years left on his deal. Yelich is there forever. Garcia's there for a couple of years. Braun has one year left. So you just... You just never know. You you hope you have an opportunity, and you hope it's not because of injuries, but because the player has earned it. Um, and they're going to give Corey Ray every opportunity to try and win a job. And and if he doesn't, and he's successful, then then he's probably going to be the guy that that people ask about in potential deals. Yeah, Jordan. When you think of, I was going to ask you when you think of the Brewers, who do you think of? Like, who's your player that you think of that like Prince Fielder or oh, Lorenzo Cain, Brian Braun? I mean, I know there was the time like he was just just the Hebrew hammer at one point. And I know that everyone loved him. And then the steroid case went down and, but hands down Ryan Brown for me. Very nice. So over the years, you've probably had a lot of great calls sitting next to a guy they call Mr. Baseball in the league. What are some of your favorites or some of the ones that are on top of your head? Uh, calls by me or calls by Bob. I mean, that's Both, a, like that you were a part of man. One that I'll never forget where I wasn't on the mic, but I was experiencing it in the booth was game 163 in 2018. 
where Bob was on the call in Chicago. Brewers beat the Cubs. That, that That's a, a very memorable moment for me and one I'll never forget as long as I live. Just a great day. Uh, just so much fun. One of, of my calls that, that it's a very memorable one for me. You, you have to go to my second game that I ever called in the big leagues. So 2015, the Brewers, for the first time in, like I think, 10 or 15 years, hit back-to-back-to-back home runs in the second game I ever called. And I'm just sitting here going, oh, my gosh, from the big leagues, I'm 30 years old. I shouldn't be here right now, but I'm doing it. And these guys are in home runs at Comerica Park. Like, it's, like it's home run derby. Mm-hmm. It was a cool moment. That was really cool. Uh, and then one that, that a lot of people probably won't remember, uh, but I will forever, was Brandon Woodruff in the playoffs hitting a home run off of Clayton Kershaw. It, that was such a cool moment in game one of the NLCS in 2018 where he, he just he took him deep, and it was not a cheapie either. And I had a lot of fun with it. I had a chance to talk with Woodruff about it on a, on a Zoom call earlier this year and uh, early during this, this time, and just the, the pure joy that he had when he was rounding the bases, and he goes, okay, well, I'm, I, he actually sounded like a hitter when he was trying to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a, that's a call that will always stick in my mind as as a memorable one handful of walk-off home runs um that i've had that have been a lot of fun too but but the woodruff home run you don't see a lot of pitcher home runs especially uh in the postseason so and off of a future hall of famer in clayton kershaw so that that's up there for me too yeah so coming like when you came up through the ranks and got to the brewers was there any any players that really stuck out with you and you've built a good relationship with over the years yeah, a ton that I've built great relationships with. I mean, Brock Holt is one of them. Mookie Betts is another. Brock, I mean, I was in the Red Sox organization. Brock Holt was there for the two years that I was in AAA. He'd be bouncing back and forth between the big leagues and the minor leagues. And my son's name is Brock. He was born in 2014. And Brock Holt claims that I named my son after Brock. <laughs> um, so it was. It, it's a cool thing. So we, we have a really good relationship. I still have good relationships with the people that I was with. Uh, with the Cardinals system, and a lot of them are in the big leagues right now. My Double A manager is now the the manager in St. Louis, and Mark and Mike Schilt. So I see mm. him all the time. Our pitching coach was Brian Eversgert. He's the bullpen coach, and my other manager was Pop Warner. He's the third base coach. I st- I still have good connections with the people that I was with in the Angels organization. One guy that I I'll never forget seeing in the minor leagues. And he's the best player I've ever seen in person, and and that's Mike Trout. I mean, I saw him in 2011 when he was on his way through in Double A, and I went, "That guy is he's going to be the best player in baseball here pretty soon." And I think that one came to fruition. That was not a hard one to to detect. <laughs> nice. Well. So, with your other calls that you've had in college football, college basketball, I know I'm a Minnesota Gophers fan, so they've really built something up there with PJ Fleck, and it's exciting. What are some of the best calls you've had? Because you, I know you said you're in the Big 12, and I know Oklahoma's kind of ran that conference for a couple of years. Yeah, I, I haven't had the memorable Big 12 games. I mean, the the first game I ever did for, for college football on Fox was a, a battle of teams that had one combined win, and it was game number 13 for both of them. So that was not – it was it was Baylor and Kansas, so that, that was not a memorable call. But one game that sticks out is um, – January 25th, 2018, and I'll never forget it for the rest of my life uh, because there was a lot going on in that particular day. There was some stuff going on with me personally that happened, which was very good, but there was also some 
some really good stuff going on with the Brewers. That was the day they traded for Christian Yelich and also mm-hmm. signed Lorenzo Cain. And then that night, as I'm calling a game in Columbus, uh, Ohio, Ohio State, Penn State, um, great game. It goes down to the wire. Ohio State ties it with about two seconds left with a, a three-pointer from about half court. And then Penn State gets the ball back and a heave from half court goes in. And it's the first time they'd won in 25 years in Columbus. And, and I had the buzzer beater call. And that, that, was, that was a really fun one. And just because of everything else that was happening over the course of that day with, with my personal life and what was happening with the Brewers organization, that that's probably my favorite basketball call uh, that I've had. Very nice. Jordan, do you have anything else for Jeff this evening? I was going to say, aside from Miller Park, um, what's one stadium that you love going back to every time? Uh, I love Oracle Park, formerly Pac Bell Park, formerly AT&T Park, formerly SBC, whatever they call it in San Francisco. San Francisco (laughs) is always a great place. I grew up in Northern California, but just the sight lines that you get. But, But one that's really underrated that probably a lot of people won't tell you is Pittsburgh. I love Pittsburgh. It's it's mm-hmm. a terrible place in terms of height to call a game just because you're up there. Uh, but with the sunset, a night game, and a nice spring or summer with the sight lines that you get of downtown, the way the sun sets on the buildings, there's nothing better than Pittsburgh. Yeah, that's actually number one. We did a ballpark ranking pod a while ago, and that one's number one on our list, like the customer service there and the yeah. food they have, the Manny's Nachos out in center field, the guy used to play for him. He was a catcher. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just, it was, it was a great experience. And then you got Heinz Field right across, right on the other side in the downtown on the other side of the river. Yeah, Pittsburgh's great. It's, it's such a great city. A lot of people kind of poo poo it when you go there, but as many times as the Brewers get to travel to Pittsburgh, I, I love it. The hotel's great. The stuff around the hotel's great. Walking down to the Strip District, great places to run all along the river. It's uh, it's 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 in my top two or three cities that we get to travel to. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. yeah. Thanks again for joining us this evening, Jeff. How can people follow you on your social media and your calls? Pretty easy at jlevering4 on both Instagram and on Twitter. And um, you just just tune into the Brewers Radio Network, and hopefully, we're talking about some live games here pretty soon. Fingers yeah, let's hope and pray. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, guys. Keep the faith. All right, thank you for joining us this evening, Jeff. You got to take it easy, guys.